On today's show, singer, guitarist, and American Idol alum, James Durbin. What's up? I'm James Durbin. That's what it says on my driver's license, what it says on my birth certificate. It's what it says on uh, my mortgage payments. Um, but I, I am James Durbin. I am also Turbo Man, but we'll get into that shortly. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody, welcome to the Mike Grand Show. And today's special guest is singer, guitarist, and American Idol alum, James Durbin. Hey, James, how are you? I'm doing great, Mike. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for joining us here today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So we're so excited to have you here today. So we're going to start off just talking about how you got started in music. And one of the biggest things that happened to you in your life is your un-American Idol. So what I want to ask you is, how is that experience like for you? And how did you enjoy being on American Idol? I absolutely loved it. I mean, American Idol is, it's it's a crazy whirlwind experience. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that goes on with Idol that you would have never expected to happen. But really at its core, it's like a um, industry boot camp. Because if, if you're able to last the whole term from you know, your very first audition all the way to the performance rounds, all the way to the finale, if you can make it that far. I made it to fourth place, um, which is just about there, you know, including the tour and, and all the press and, and uh, going on all the extra TV shows and promotional things. Um, it, for all intents and purposes, I was there from the, you know, from, uh, from womb to tomb. So it was a lot of what I had hoped it would be and a lot of what I never expected but overall it was it was awesome I still hold it in like super high regard and I've got a framed photo of my season's uh cast all signed by everybody right here and we still keep up with each other you know on the reg so it's uh it's good it's very good yep and the season that you were in um the winner of that season was Scotty McCreary and then it also had Lauren Elena in that season as well um, so I, I wanted to ask you how it was like working with those two. And also you had the judges, you had Miss Jenny from the block. Okay. <laughs> how many people can say they have a relationship with JLo? So I want to ask you about JLo, Steven Tyler and Randy Jackson. Well, first off with Scotty McCreary and Lauren Elena, I mean, we got to remember when they were on idol, they were 15. Like they had just made the the cutoff point because I think it was 15 to like 30 something, um, which wasn't a very big window. But yeah, for 15 to go through that whole experience um, and they had to still do school on top of it. So the rest of us were just kind of hanging out and like, you know, shooting the breeze and, and trying to find things to keep us busy. And they were actually like learning <laughs> and getting an education. Um, so I'm not envious of that, but uh, but you should get your education. Uh, don't don't take my word for it. Um, and uh, and then with the with the I mean, both Scotty and Lauren were great then, and it's 
it's it's like you feel like a proud big brother or um or i don't know something some sort of a family relation um i was gonna say a weird uncle or something i don't know uh not that weird but um it's it's just been great just seeing them turn into adults and having like a like a, a bar like they set the bar here and they're like damn these kids are 15 and they're like kind and respectful and like super talented and and i was not that i didn't have that level of talent of of polished talent at 15 um but also like i said idol is that industry boot camp it's they'll put you through the ringer they'll put you through that process they'll take a you know a piece of coal and they'll polish it into a diamond and that's that's what they're known for you know that's why idol is consistently the the show that churns out um hit makers and superstars you know we've got all these other shows and they're and they're great for what they are but like if you pit like american idol versus the voice you know no disrespect to anybody that's been on the voice or that's won the voice but like i remember doing a radio show once and like a radio promo show um somewhere don't remember where uh but the winner of the first season of the voice um opened for me and i was fourth place on idol so it was just kind of like well he won that show why is he what he should be playing last that's isn't that how this stuff works but i, I guess it doesn't but even still i mean scotty and lauren have had incredible careers i mean it's it, it trips me out i want to get to the judges but i do want to show you something right here let me just grab it Whoop. all right so right here this is uh, our touring um, 8x10s that we all had. And in here you have Thea Megia, you have Naima Adadapo, you have Paul McDonald. Here, let me point to people. We've got Thea Megia, Naima Adadapo, Paul McDonald, Pia Toscano. Uh, let's see, I'm trying to go in the order of who was eliminated. Stefano Langoni, um, Jacob Lusk. Uh, Casey Abrams, James Durbin. Let's switch those because it was Casey, then Jacob, then James. That's me. Then Haley Reinhardt, then Lauren Elena and Scotty McCreary. So, I mean, everybody, everybody here has done incredible things. So for me to just talk about Lauren and, and Scotty is 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 uh, you know unjust to everybody. So like, you know, these are our top two, and they're. Scotty just had his, I think, his fifth consecutive number one uh, at Country Radio. Lauren's had a bunch as well. I think Lauren plays bigger venues than Scotty. Um, <laughs> but just just success is just oozing. Uh, Haley Reinhardt, super success. I think she's written songs for Beyonce, and she's got, like, she just does a bunch of things. She's on shows on Netflix and voiceover and, and things. Uh, <laughs> me, we'll get into me. Jacob Lusk is currently in a group called Gabriel's that is that just performed on late uh, the late late show with James Corden. They're they just got off tour with Harry Styles. They're like blowing up, and it's it's just incredible to see. And it's like I'm super emotional and, and just so stoked for Jacob because his level of talent and his his vocal talent, and then mix that with his his personality. And, and and everything is just you just love to cheer for your friends, you know, so it's like you're so excited. 
Uh, Casey Abrams had a ton of success with Postmodern Jukebox, with his own stuff. He's toured the world with PMJ and uh, and has number one jazz records and all sorts of stuff. He's currently laid up in the hospital, uh, unfortunately. Um, so please keep him in your thoughts and prayers. Um, Paul McDonald, he's done all sorts of stuff. He's currently signed with a label out of uh, the UK and beautiful Americana stylings and kind of like into pop and alternate rock, uh, alternative rock. Stefano, same. He was singing for Babyface Edmonds um, and on tour with him. He's now doing his own stuff and producing artists. Pia Toscano, she works with uh, David Foster and has sung with Andrea Bocelli like, at like Carnegie Hall. <laughs> Just like, what? It's crazy. Um, and yeah, and, and Naima Adapo, she's, uh, she's had a publishing deal, has written songs for other artists and, and, and continued to tour and continue to have great success. And she lives in Nashville and Thea McGee, she was on uh, a bunch of seasons of Days of Our Lives, like, you know, like beyond singing, like taking a break from singing and, and found some other avenue for it. So it's like everybody's done something and continued working. And that's, I think, is like my favorite part about having been on our season is that there is that camaraderie and we're all rooting for each other and we all want to see each other succeed. And it's just like, it's fulfilling, you know, it's great. There's no, like, uh, there's no, um, poisonous, uh, uh, that, you know, vibes. It's, it's all good vibes now to the judges. <laughs> so yeah, we had, uh, Randy Jackson was still on Jennifer Lopez signed on, um, cause the previous season, season nine, ours was season 10. So season nine was Simon Cowell's last season. And I thought Simon would have, would not have liked me, which is why, um, I didn't, uh, I, I had auditioned once in 2008 for season eight and didn't make it through the first round and was like, nah, screw this. And so <laughs> it wasn't until 2000, 2009. I'm trying to remember when they do it. No, season 10 was in 2011, but I auditioned in 2010. They do the audition process before the year before. Um, and I auditioned with uh, 17 and a half thousand people in San Francisco alone. That's when they still were pulling 20,000 people auditioning per city. And it was myself there and uh, Stefano here that were the only ones from San Francisco auditions that made it through and subsequently made it through to the live rounds and the tour. And, uh, he was my best man at my wedding. And, um, <clears throat> so yeah, with the judges, as soon as Steven Tyler signed on to be a judge, I was like, I, I want to be a part of this. I want, I want to audition. I want to sing for Steven. I think Steven will love me. He'll get it. He'll get it right away. And, uh, and he did. And for that, I'm, I'm, you know, super grateful. I don't know if he would remember my name or remember me because I know he had to be like reminded daily of who people were. He'd have like a, a poster board in his dressing room. I only know this because uh, I ended up having the same attorney as him. But last time I saw Steven Tyler, we were walking out of the um, the uh, finale, the big uh, um, place where we did the finale and uh, LA Live uh, at the Staples Center. And <laughs> we... We're walking out and suddenly they're like, oh, Steven Tyler coming through, more famous than you. Everybody moved to the sides. And uh, Steven comes over and I'm the last person he says bye to. And he says, he corners me. He's like, James Durbin, if you don't pick Dina LaPolt to be your lawyer, it'll be the biggest God mistake you make in your entire life. And I was like, okay, okay, I will. I promise you crazy rock star, just leave me alone. 
and he goes ah, and he kisses me and then he walks out um steven's great <laughs> but again i don't know if you'd i don't know if you'd know uh, uh long story short in that i didn't contact that attorney um and then i found myself at the hollywood bowl for the new york doll it was a concert it was the new york dolls poison motley crew i think there was one other in there but maybe that was it and she happened to be there because she represented motley crew at the time and she was like james durbin why haven't you called me uh that's a horrible impression of dina lapolt but uh anyway uh i was like she was like you want to go backstage and meet Molly Crew? Come with me. I was like, oh, all right, you're hired. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Uh, with JLo, she was awesome. Um, during that season, it was, it was when she was uh, married to, uh, still married to Mark Anthony. And so they'd be walking around with their kids in the studio and like JLo with like no makeup on, <laughs> like without all the TV makeup on and, you know, just like being normal being regular, being chill, and just like as a human being, like very kind and and just very caring. You know, I, she wanted to see us all succeed. She wanted to see us all do our best. And it was like motherly kind of, motherly kind of, um, but I don't know. She was great. She was great. I mean, I, I wish that, you know, there was, I wish that there had been more like transparency with our judges. Um, like it seems like on The Voice, and I've asked people that have been on The Voice that, like, yeah, we do work one-on-one -on -one with uh, with our mentors, um, but I wish we kind of had a little bit more of that with our judges, like a little, like a little bit of hang time, you know, which we we never got. But still, it was, you know, it was it was what it was, and it was eleven years ago, so there's you know there's no way of changing it. But it, it's uh it's nice to have um, perspective on it. And yeah. And you played um, a bunch of songs on the show, which you did a great job at. Um, some you. of the songs too were, you know, cause you went in there as the heavy metal guy. So you brought heavy metal music into the show. Um, so you broke boundary there, but you even brought the twist to just like when you did Carol King's Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow and stuff like that. Great rendition and stuff like that. And it was awesome too. You did get to use your guitar player and you did get to play mm -hmm. that instrument there too. So I wanted to ask you, how was it like, because in, in the beginning when American Idol first came out it was just voice, nobody was allowed to play instruments. So how cool was it that you were able to play instruments on the show and how long, you know, were you playing guitar? When did you start playing guitar? I started playing, I got a hand-me-down guitar when I was 10. Um, and so I, I've never really considered myself a, a good or great guitar player um, until one of my uh, peers um said james you're a great rhythm guitar player you should believe in yourself um so that since then i've been like hey but uh i i really owe it to i think all of us on idol and the singing shows owe it to season nine i mean season nine of american idol really got to do that with like crystal bower socks and lee dewise and casey james all three of them played guitar and and Casey like played a solo at the finale and that was like I remember watching that I was like oh my god somebody's playing a guitar solo I think he did every rose has its thorn with Brett Michaels and Casey like ripped out the solo and it's just like oh my gosh that's so cool like I remember just like this is so sweet um and 
yeah i mean to to know that our season we'd get to do the same was was great i mean backstage like when you're on the show and you get to a certain point they've got deals with different companies and different guitar makers come in and you know they want to see their guitars be played on the show so i think P uh, prs came in and gave us guitars and gibson and epiphone um out of all those i, I only have the epiphones uh left <laughs> uh, just for different charity things and and uh you know, music's a hard thing to make it in. So sometimes you got to sell some stuff, but uh, <laughs> it's all good. Uh, I, we also went through like a decluttering, like a minimalism phase. And as you can see, that phase has passed. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is my collection room, my studio. But yeah, um, it, yeah, it was great getting able to, I don't know, just show that extra layer. I think that's great. And Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow was a simple enough song and though my guitar was plugged in it was turned down very very well <laughs> and as as it's funny as i went to commercial uh ryan seacrest is standing there and i was gonna i was waiting for him to throw to commercial and i was gonna play on guitar i was gonna do the idol and uh and he goes over and he shuts my amp off because he knew he he had a feeling i was gonna sabotage something i don't know i was like ryan Right, come on! If you if you can find a, a a clip of that as it throws to commercial, after the judges talk, you can see us like trying to turn. He turns it. He goes and turns it off, and I go back and turn it on. But ba ba da It's really funny, <laughs> little stuff like that. Every so consummate professional. <laughs> what was the transition like then when you left Idol and then you had your debut album? So what was that like going from Idol to recording your first album? It was crazy. It's a whirlwind. I mean, as soon as you get eliminated from Idol, it's like you're you're no longer there. You've known these four walls. These four windowless walls. You're in a studio. Like we weren't we when we were at the studio, which is CBS Studios in in in, uh, in LA. Um it was it was just weird there were no windows on our holding room that they'd keep all of us in. And so we would spend all of our days in there. We'd, you know, wake up at, if we were at the idol, we started at hotels. Then we went into the idol mansion, uh, which was haunted. And then we went to another place. So <clears throat> it was just kind of all over. I don't know. It was weird, but we would drive there in the morning first thing in the morning 6 a.m probably we'd get there before the judges it's a lot of hurry up and wait um and then we'd be leaving when it's dark and it was really weird it's like living in a casino you know without all the without all the fun <laughs> it was still fun we had to figure out other ways to have fun um but yeah it was really weird it was a lot of sitting around and doing nothing um <laughs> learning songs i guess um but yeah, tolerating one another. <laughs> uh, I feel like they should have had cameras on in our like in that room, in the in the idol room, the idol lounge, because um, that could have been a whole nother show. Uh, <laughs> but going from being eliminated and then coming home, that was a big change. That was a big big change because at the time we lived in, and that's not necessarily like the biggest thing in hindsight, but being at this beautiful mansion and everything's catered to you and you want food you want this you want that they bring in watches they bring in sunglasses suits shoes they take you shopping they you can spend 
$2,000 on a shopping spree to wear stuff for the show. And then for us guys, we got to keep it for the girls there. Um, their designer that they worked with, uh, she would buy the clothes and she'd cut the tags and she'd sew her own tags on them and not let any of the girls keep their, uh, their, their clothes from idol, which was bunk, but I've still got like all my idol clothes, um, taking up room, uh, <laughs> they're over there. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. I don't want to, like, I say this and, and. I don't mean this with any disrespect to anybody that has real PTSD, but it is a form of PTSD because it's, it's, you go through this, like, and it's not, it's not even like, I wouldn't define it as traumatic stress because it's not at all, but it's, it is stressful. It's thematic stress. It's post thematic or theatric stress, post theatric stress disorder. That's what American Idol gives you. Um, because it's 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 theater it's theater of the mind and they change your mind and they make you think that this is all like real and this is all important and everything and it, it really isn't and i got a big 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 fat head um and egotistical and 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 uh, luckily my wife pulled me out of it um and it wasn't easy for her either it wasn't easy for me and it was um it sucked in, the, in that regard. But, you know, by the time getting to record my album, I mean, my first album was, I recorded it in two and a half weeks. Uh, we were on the idol tour. I was taking in songs from songwriters. When we had a break on tour, I'd meet with whoever was in that city or go somewhere else and record songs. Like we had a day off in Washington, DC. And I went to Vermont and I think it was Vermont. Is that the next one over or Virginia? I don't know. And recorded uh, my first single stand up at some random studio out there because <laughs> um, the engineer flew out there to meet me and record me, which was crazy. And then uh, we had like a two week break uh, off of the US chunk, the, the North America chunk of the tour. Um, we did 47 shows in the US, one in Canada and you know, 46 shows in the US, one in Canada and had two weeks off and then went to Manila in the Philippines for two shows back to back at the Araneta Coliseum. And in those two weeks off, my family came down to LA and I recorded pretty much all of my first album. So it was crazy. And that was all in 2011. So it's like, yeah, pack it all in. And then we did that and then released my album. And then I went on a mini tour and then we got married and then we went out on another tour, which is just like, it just keeps happening and keeps going, you know, went and played on the next season of Idol and then went on another tour and, you know, just kept that cycle going. So it's, yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy to think about that. Again, you know, hindsight, looking back on all this stuff is like all this stuff that causes you stress and, and seems like it's just like the end of the world. Um, and then you look back on it and you're just like, that was a cup of coffee. <laughs> that was that was nothing. Now I have three kids and then it was only one. And so it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. What you think is like stressful or like super important when, you know, in 10 years from then, it's going to be like, huh, what even happened? Why, why were we tripping out? I don't know. <laughs> and then you did after that first album, you came out with a couple more albums. Um, celebrate as well as riot on sunset and on that album you did have a song and i'm wondering it's called smackdown 
I'm wondering if there was any, I don't know, wrestling influence, WWE SmackDown. I know you're a wrestling fan here. Is that where that title came from? I actually didn't write the song. Uh, the people that wrote the song had written, previously written a song on, on my first album, Memories of a Beautiful Disaster, titled Deeper. And it was a chance to work with the same songwriters again. They knew that I loved wrestling. They loved wrestling. <laughs> and uh, so I went to their studio and they're like, we got this we got this song we've just kind of we've uh, given it a working title of Durban WWE song and I was like oh this is cool this is really really cool and uh yeah so we put that out and uh I had a chance to I obviously it's a, it's Smackdown so what else would you do a music video of it for other than in a wrestling ring and I knew that there had existed a small independent promotion uh here in my hometown santa cruz california and i randomly connected with the guy uh that owned it um his name now is i think it's dirty ron is his ring name and he's like a dirty ronald mcdonald kind of uh character he works with rob van dam a lot um on stuff and does kind of like hardcore indies down in la now but <laughs> he was also on uh it's funny we did the music video all right let me i'm getting ahead of myself so i contacted him it turned out uh at where we lived at the time he literally lived around the corner and had the wrestling ring in his garage and so he was like yeah if you pay us you know this amount for, for you know us to do some in-ring work and you got to rent a box truck and if you come help us move the ring and set it up you know it was like real cheap um, so yeah, it was him. I think at the time he was Seabass was his ring name. Uh, we had Scotty Ringer. We had the two of them. So we did the video. Um, we were supposed to have the, uh, the venue where we were filming was where our, um, developmental NBA team, uh, plays the D league, uh, uh, warriors, um, which is the developmental system for the golden state warriors. And we were supposed to have like six seven hours in there to film take our time when we get there they're like we got you three hours like, oh my god we gotta set up a, a wrestling ring we gotta set up lights we gotta set up cameras we gotta set up the band in the ring take the band out of the ring like film wrestling and do it all somehow we did it somehow we did it and with all the obstacles we had in our way and uh and yeah and then like we put the video out and then literally that next Monday on on Raw, uh, our guy Seabass was in there. They were in Denver, and it was when they were building Braun Strowman uh, originally. And yeah, they were in Denver, and like he faced two or three guys in Denver. And they, they had some, you know, some weed reference name to them, and, uh, and Braun squashed all three of them. But it was very fun to be like that dude's in my video and there he is on raw and he got like a promo and like they got to talk and then they got the full on squash. And it was like, that was it at that time. You know, it was like, we just recovered from James Ellsworth and now we get Braun Strowman squashing dudes. Like this is what it should have been the whole time. So yeah, it was, it was, it was quite fun. And now I'm going to talk to you in, in a second about wrestling. Since you're a wrestling fan, we get, we got to bring wrestling into this, oh, but yeah. I just want to um go through real quick. <laughs> After you came out with a few albums, you did join a band called The Quiet Riot, and you put out material with them. So can you tell us a little bit about that? And then 
why you decided then to leave the band and go back to working on your own. Yeah. So in 20, like in 2016, I put out my album Riot on Sunset and I had done a tour and one leg of a tour. And then we were routing the other leg of the tour when I got a call um, to be involved in a uh, like a short term uh, residency show in Las Vegas. And so I ended up, you know, kind of weighing the options and ended up going with that right after I accepted that, like literally signed the agreement and sent it in. Uh, I got a call from Frankie Benali, the late Frankie Benali, uh, drummer of Quiet Riot. And he was like thinking about bringing you in on vocals. Would you be interested? And I was like, oh, I just signed this thing to do in Vegas. Um, you know, maybe I could do both. It could probably work out because the Vegas shows are during the week and this. And he's like, nope, I, I need I need somebody to be, you know, fully committed. So I was like, OK, cool. Keep me in mind for some other time. Um, so I went and did the Vegas thing. It was short lived and while I was out there, I reconnected with the uh, current guitar player of Quiet Riot, uh, Alex Grassi, and we developed a friendship and we started writing songs together and we started pitching songs to movies. And then we decided to put uh, an album out um, called The Maps of the Hollywood Scars. And we, I don't know, we just kind of had this like this bond, this brotherhood. Um, and you know, this is your active guitar player of Quiet Riot. This is the guy that uh, the drummer wanted to hire, but was unavailable. And now they're working together. Um, and then that guy that they had hired in in the meantime, uh, by the name of Sean Nichols, uh, great singer, great songwriter, great producer too. And uh, but he just wasn't a, a good fit for them and, and it wasn't working out, um, you know, uh, pretty like, I don't know. It was just wasn't working out. And so um, Alex kind of like was giving me, you know, the tug on the shoulder. Like, I think you should learn the Quiet Riot set. You might get the tap from Frankie. And I was like, okay. So I learned it and I was ready. And one day um, Alex calls me and, and he's like, what are you doing? And, uh, <laughs> verbatim. I said, I'm sitting on my porch, uh, eating soup, drinking a beer, yelling at my neighbor's kids. What's up? And, uh, it's like that specific, um, uh, how would you like to be the, uh, you know, the new singer of quiet riot? And so it was very like, Whoa, crazy whirlwind. And, and it all happened so fast. And, and I had the gig before we had played a single note together. Like we did a photo shoot and then we went and had lunch and then we went and played the set once, uh, and then like went through a couple other things. And then it was like a week later, I had my first show with them. Um, I think it was in Oklahoma. <laughs> and so I sang with Quiet Riot for two and a half years, just about. We did two studio albums called Road Rage and Hollywood Cowboys. And in between those, we did a, a live album and DVD um, yeah, live. Uh, it was called One Night in Milan. We filmed it live at the Frontiers uh, Records, the Frontiers Rock Festival. Frontiers was the record label that Quiet Riot was with. So fast forward to 2019 it just wasn't working out creatively and there was just inner inner band stress and i told myself i'd do it as long as i was still having fun and i just wasn't having fun and i just needed to i don't know like i'm of the philosophy of like if if some if you're not enjoying something and you don't need to be there what's stopping you from doing what you want to do you know so I'm i'm glad that i did i'm glad that i 
sang with them. I'm glad that I have those experiences. I was just looking at some pictures and a bunch of old Quiet Riot uh, live photos uh, popped up and, and it just made me smile. So, um, and I'm stoked that they're all still working and, and uh, continuing to thrive and continuing to, uh, you know, make money because that's that's what we're all trying to do is, is make money at this music stuff and uh there's plenty of it out there it's just you know knowing what to do and how to do it so um i did leave the band i stepped down um and the first email in my inbox was from the record label frontiers and they were like we're sad to see you go from quiet riot um but we don't want to see you go from frontiers and uh we settled on an agreement that i would um, record new material write a new record and, and record new material and uh, that album ended up being um my first uh heavy metal solo album which uh, i'm trying to find here i had copies up here i guess i put them somewhere else but <laughs> it's called durbin the beast awakens and i really took a, a big bet on myself with that one and wrote it 100% wrote every riff, every lyric, every melody, every idea. Um, and then took those songs and gave them to my friends who are uh, lead guitarists and had them put solos on them and reached out to friends to contribute and, and uh, got Chris Jericho on there who Chris and I uh, have known each other since I was on Idol and he was on Dancing with the Stars and we'd go hang out. I remember um, when Hulk Hogan came out and told me that I was going through on tour and to the performance rounds and continuing on myself and Paul McDonald, he came out and told us and, uh, and Jericho came over the next day and he was like, ah, I've been watching Durban, dude, I've been watching you on Idol. Like he literally just walked over, just film in the same studio. It's like, here's a wall. This side is idle. This side is dancing with the stars and they don't cross that wall. You know, it's like, there's a hallway, there's a big hallway that goes through, but they just don't. And, uh, <laughs> it's kind of like the un, I don't know. It's the invisible, the invisible lines, but he crossed those lines and he just did his little emasculate. What did, uh, <laughs> I forget. He, he quoted Vince saying something about like, no, no masculine man. Where's a scarf. Um, <laughs> his emasculate feminism i don't know something like that and uh and yeah walks over and he's like what's up durbin you're a wrestling fan i was like oh my god my number one of all time just walked in and and wants to chat so be cool don't be a mark and um not that there's anything wrong with being mark or mike um but you know mark out mark out mike uh and james we're gonna mark out and uh that's why we're here uh let's be honest and so in that moment it was like, well, it's cool. So we ended up hanging out and going places and I wasn't supposed to. So I was actually sneaking out from the idol hotel or sneaking out the back door. Um, and then, you know, six hours later coming in the front and the security guys that are there to make sure we don't leave. are like, Durbin, what the, just go to, go to your, go to your room. <laughs> you're here. You're safe. Like we went to the Hollywood bowl and saw Stevie Nicks and Rod Stewart. We'd go to the rainbow and uh you know just see who we could find and like there's lemmy at the bar um i remember one night we went he had me meet him at this uh really popular steakhouse on sunset called boa and uh it was me jericho maurice 
and the Miz. And we're all just hanging out. And they're like telling road stories, and they're like, hey, "Dude, you remember when Oscar did this and like that?" And I was like, "I know, because I'm a Mark." And I'm like, "They're talking about Ray." I was like, "This is crazy." And then the, the waiter came over. He's like, "Do you guys want dessert?" And I was like, "Ooh, that s'mores dish looks good." And they're like, "Yeah, let's, we'll just get one. Can you bring out four spoons?" And so I'm sitting there like sharing this dessert with Miz and Maurice and Chris, and just like, "Hi, guys." For some reason, I wore a, ten, a Canadian tuxedo. <laughs> I wore full denim to this fancy steakhouse just to take the piss out of it. But it was just funny. I, there's like paparazzi photos and video from like TMZ of us standing outside on YouTube. It's just the weirdest thing. Life is weird. Life is crazy, but it's it's uh, it's beautiful. And now let's switch over to wrestling. <laughs> yes. Talk more to wrestling and. Your favorite wrestler happens to be my favorite wrestler, Mr. Baron Corbin. Can you tell <laughs> us, I saw you got a picture with him. So tell us about the first time you met Baron. So I had listened to uh, Talk is Jericho. Again, Chris has been, he's been my number one. And then like to be my pal too. It's cool. Um, is uh, <laughs> he had Baron Corbin on his uh podcast and he was talking about he used to date maria brink who was the singer of in this moment who is the singer of in this moment um Ma and when he dated her was when uh jeff fab was on drums and blake bunzel was on rhythm guitar and when i left idol and formed my own band jeff fab on drums and blake bunzel on rhythm guitar left in this moment and joined my band so we have that connection. They know Jeff and Blake really well because he was with Maria for a long time during those formative early touring years. And uh, so we've got that connection. And then the Jericho connection. And then I think I tweeted him and then he tweeted me back. And I was on tour with Quiet Riot at the time and had a layover in Dallas. And, um, <laughs> and then I just like, I got off my plane. I think I had a layover and... I was just walking around and then like I saw like Jinder Mahal walk by and it was when he was champion and he's huge and very nice. <laughs> um, but he was in no mood. He was, you know, he was top heel. He just walked straight through and I was like, yo, he's on SmackDown. Um, so that means that there's probably other, you know, superstars that are on SmackDown coming through here. Um, so I kind of just like stood there for a second and then X marks the spot <laughs> X marks the mark. Um, and I kind of stood there and, and, uh, I was like, I was, I was wearing like a leather jacket, a t-shirt and a beanie and I just shaved and, uh, and then over walks in a similar jacket, black t-shirt, black beanie, same face, same look, same squinty eyes, um, same nose, all of it. And, uh, walks over and he's like, I was like, and he points at me. He's like, this is so weird. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I was just listening to you on the podcast. And he was like, and I just tweeted you. And we were almost simultaneously. We're like, and here we are. Um, we kind of talked for a minute. Like there's these photos from WrestleMania a few years ago, number of years ago. Uh, when it was in Miami, I think it was WrestleMania 30. And I was there 
doing some stuff with be a star campaign um and i was at access and hanging out backstage at access and talking to all the guys and and um i think i was talking to justin gabriel and they were going out to the ring that they had set up at wrestlemania access to do a like a video game tournament like a wwe 2k whatever at the time and and so they went out to the ring and justin gabriel was like i you should come out to the ring with me i was like okay whatever cool <laughs> you know playing it off well, yeah whatever that's cool and uh went out there to the ring with him and they've got tvs set up and i think they have one of the one of the ropes taken off so you can just walk in and uh in the the game competition it ended up being it was justin gabriel and james durbin versus uh aj lee and daniel bryan and this is, I was like, oh, oh shit. <laughs> here we are. Here we go. And uh, I'd never played this game before, this particular one. So I didn't know the controls. But um, in it, uh, Justin and AJ were pitted against each other. And we were like their managers, you know, cheering them on. And uh, at one point, AJ hands the controls to Daniel. And then Justin handed the controls to me. And so then it was me versus Daniel Bryan. And I pinned Daniel Bryan on WWE 2K in the middle of that ring, in the middle of that actual ring. So I, James Durbin, have a win over, uh, you know, um, what is it? The He's the uh, A slot, you know, Hall of Famer, um, Daniel Bryan, Bryan Danielson. So yay me. Um, but anyway, there were some photos taken from there. And I had blonde hair at the time and a demolition, a vintage demolition shirt on and a couple tattoos and whatever. And, and some people had like found it online. You can still find it like James Durbin, Baron Corbin, doppelganger lookalike sort of thing. And people were like, dude, a young Baron Corbin was there. People were like, oh my gosh, this is so crazy. He looks so different, but so similar. And then someone was like, you idiot, that's James Durbin from American Idol. We're like, no, no, I can't believe it. And so like that's floated around too. And then to meet one another and to take a photo and like, we have a very similar face and it, he had hair at the time. I had shorter hair at the time. He shaved his head. I shaved my head. We, it's like my hair's growing back. He's kept his head shaved. Um, but I don't know. It's just, it's just funny. It's funny. You know, they do say that like, there's like six people out there, seven people out there in the world with your same face. And, um, who's who's the other one is uh kevin jonas kevin jonas kind of has our face um taylor lautner kind of has our face um and uh and tom pestock aka baron corbin uh has our face and james durbin has our face so it's there's something there it's kind of cool that is so awesome cool and i got to meet him um this this year was this year yes this year as well which was cool i was like i didn't believe this moment would come I was like, <laughs> I got to meet him and Liv Morgan. They were in uh, Stamford, Connecticut. So oh, nice. I got to meet him. So that was pretty cool too. So I got to take a couple pictures with him and definitely awesome. Huge fan of him. And then the, another, another one that I am a huge fan of, if we're switching over now to AEW, I don't, I don't know who your favorite is over there, but I'm going to tell you mine. And that's John Moxley. And I want to know what your thoughts are on John Moxley. I think Mox is doing the best work of his career. I think that he's in a place and, and 
because I read the dirt sheets and I read the stuff and and know that he believes the same that you know he's in the perfect place for him i really think so i never connected with dean ambrose i always thought it was you know not enough thought it was like i see what he's trying to do and i know who he used to be and it's it's too soft you know it's too like it's not fully there and this is like john moxley's the full realization and i think also after like the the all-out media scrum disaster happened um, with CM Punk and the Bucks and all that crap, it's like somebody had to step up for AEW, and I feel like just the like the in ring promo work, the out of ring interview work that he's done, and what he has to say and how he says it. He's it's like he's taking what Punk said, like I work with children and and everything, and like Mox is taking it and flipping it into a program with with hangman and you know you're a child you're you're a little you're a good you're a good boy you're a good kid that sort of thing and using that to like propel the story and make it intriguing and like it has meat there already because they're taking something that's real and that's fresh and 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 they're spinning it to make it work um and i think it's great i i really do i think he's a great champion you know um I was a little tired of him being champion just and I I know he was probably too uh and was waiting for that uh vacation so I was thinking that maybe they'd give it to Brian um but you know putting it back on Mox is great because he's going to I don't know he's just going to elevate it. I don't know if Hangman is the right person to put the title back on just because he already had a run with it and it wasn't the most yay run um you know but time time is going to take that and uh you know he's i mean hangman's great in ring promo uh gimmick all of it great look great shape um you know i i keep wishing that they'd stop dropping the ball with dark order i love dark order i love john silver john silver's incredible he's tiny but he's huge he's like i don't know um but <laughs> i just wish that you know like they had the all those big what was it four man or five man matches with the with the elite versus the dark order and everything and it was like all these close close finishes close finish close finish close finish and like what we've gotten with what AEW I love is the long-term storytelling um like with uh with the acclaimed and that whole rise and and I mean sometimes with the long-term storytelling it's it's I don't know I don't I I feel like not everything has to be long-term storytelling there's a lot where it's like, all right, we're still going. We're still going. Uh, no, no, they turned it around. And so it's still going to keep going. Like the thing right now with, I love Jericho and I can't say a bad thing about him, but the thing with like Daniel Garcia is like, just pick a freaking side already. Like we don't need it to keep happening. Now it's going to be a two on two. Now it's going to be Yuta and Brian versus Garcia and Jericho. And it's going to keep going. And maybe it's going to, Oh, Jericho now turns on the Jericho appreciation society and decides to join the Blackpool combat club. Like whatever, you know, it's like, it's a lot of this and a lot of that. And there's so much talent there. And it's, I'd love to see more of it being utilized. I think we all would, but I, I, I really enjoy AEW um for what it is and 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 i'm happy to see again like with old people i've been in bands with or anything like people are working people are making money people are living their dreams doing what they love and i can't poo poo that you know i can't yuck i can't yuck a yum i can't yuck their yum and uh 
Yamayak. Okay, and now it's time to play the lightning round where I'm going to ask you a couple things and you just tell me which one you prefer. Okay. So we're going to start with Halloween. Do you prefer trick or treat? Treat. What are you more afraid of, an earthquake or a tornado? Oh, gosh. I live in earthquake areas, so pr probably earthquake. But um, I've, I've been through a lot of earthquakes, so probably tornado. Better game, Tetris or Super Mario Brothers? Ooh, Tetris. WrestleMania or SummerSlam? Oh, WrestleMania. Cheeseburger or cheese fries? Uh, are we talking about world famous cheeseburger, the wrestler? <laughs> I'll go cheeseburger. Which is a better faction, Evolution or The Shield? Evolution. Ev Evolution is a mystery. <laughs> Big Bang Theory or Two and a Half Men? Big Bang. Royal Rumble or Money in the Bank? Ooh, Royal Rumble. Old school. Better judge, Simon Cowell or Judge Judy? Judge Judy, let's go. <laughs> Better finisher, Randy Orton's RKO or Triple H's The Pedigree? Mm, I'd say RK RKO because it can come out of nowhere. And which do you prefer? WWE or AEW? Ooh, it it goes back and forth, but I'm I'm gonna I don't know I'm gonna plead the fifth. I'm just gonna say wrestling, wrestling, okay. wrestling, more more wrestling, <laughs> more wrestling. And real quick, what were your thoughts when he when McIntyre kicked out at end of days? Oh man, it I mean it was bound to happen at some point. It was gonna happen at some point. Um, like, oh man, I just that rise of Drew McIntyre and and clash at the castle and like. I know we we're talking a couple months ago, but like, I still feel that that was the right time. Like you had him in Cardiff, you had everybody there. It was on fire and you didn't need the, you know, I mean, I get it. Bringing out Solo Sokoa and bringing out, um, uh, Karrion Cross. Um, but I don't know. I'm just, I just want, I just want somebody to get it. You know, you I want Roman to get like one, if he's going to win, give him a clean win at some point. He hasn't had a single clean win over anybody, um, it seems like. So that, that's kind of gotten old. But yeah, you know, to go through all that, he kicks out of the end of days. And, uh, and, and then you drop the ball with him. You drop, you drop the sword. Can't drop yeah. the sword. I mean, it, it would be nice. I would love if it came full Don't circle and the, the person... <laughs> I would love if it came full circle and the person that pinned him would be Baron Corbin since he was the last person to pin him. I would love for it to just come full circle and he's the one that pins him and surprises everyone out of nowhere. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen right now. By the time this airs with JBL, when Corbin's coming back, what's going to happen? I do know, um, I did see that he was up in Salem filming some stuff for The Bump, oh, which cool. is probably going to air, you know, around Halloween time. Um, so hopefully we shall see. We I can I can see. I can see Baron Corbin. I mean, I loved. I feel like he was at his best at the for for me personally with his lone wolf gimmick, and you know he could do that with a shaved head. Uh, you know, of course he can. You got Rob Halford. He's got a shaved head, and he's the god of metal, for Christ's sake. Um, but like, I don't know. I could just see 
I just I could I could see more for Baron Corbin than you know the the rich guy and that's it you know I mean it, it worked well for JBL for the longest time and I uh, you know if they're working together it's it's probably what's going to be happening but for me it was like his dark badass gimmick it's like what they had Damian Priest doing you know it's like they took it off of Corbin and they were like let's give it to Damian Priest and then I mean we do have Judgment Day now and that's that's great and Finn Balor's my other uh favorite has been for a long time um and he just got me tickets to my just took my son to go see Monday Night Raw and uh thanks to thanks to Fergal and uh which was awesome very very sweet and kind of him um but yeah just wrestling you know wrestling you know i i feel like triple h is uh he's we all can see that he's getting all of his toys back um you know so i think it's going to be very uh heavy on you know who he lost and who he's bringing back and putting the spotlight on them for now um but hopefully you know our our favorites that have been there and have been kicking ass are gonna you know dig in and and uh explore and explode you know it's it's uh i don't know wrestling is wrestling it's 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 gonna it's always gonna be there i feel like it is and and there's just certain people that work for you and work for your organization that uh, are very loyal and are always gonna be there whether they're in the full spotlight or not you know I, i feel like with baron corbin like he had that program with cena and they were putting the they were giving him the rocket and uh and and you know cena said he wasn't ready and that was like a big knockdown to him but like sometimes that sort of a knockdown when you have um momentum is the best thing that can possibly happen to you because you know like they gave the title to jack swagger back when he had it um and it it didn't necessarily work you know and so like they they do learn from their mistakes and they do learn from what works and what doesn't um but then they you know they look at somebody and they'll be like oh this guy has actual heat he's got real heat <laughs> just because people don't like him um but it's i don't know I, I i certainly hope that there's a a world title run for him at some point and if not at least a you know and and saying at least is like still at least a intercontinental title run like that's still like wow that's a that's a big one um because he was the u.s champion right is that the only singles title that he's held yeah only had one title is the u.s right okay yeah no i think we're due (laughs) i think he's due i think we're all due uh for a uh a good uh corbin run yep all right thank you so much for being here today and can you tell everybody how they can uh contact you Yes, you can keep in touch with me, uh, James Durbin, at uh, first my website, jamesdurbinofficial.com. That's D-U-R-B-I-N, uh, like Corbin, but it's Durbin uh, with a U and an I. And uh, I'm at James Durbin Official on Instagram, verified um, at Durbin Rock on Twitter, verified. Uh, Facebook is also uh, facebook.com slash Durbin Rock, verified um, on tiktok but i don't do much of that um and it's not verified so uh you'll you'll be able to find me i think it's the same uh to look like this um so yeah i'm there um check out all my records under james durbin uh on wherever you listen to your music as well as just look up my last name durbin for my heavy metal record and uh my latest uh, project is titled clean break uh, all one word which features myself on vocals 
Mike Flint's from the band Riot, Riot 5 on guitar, and uh, Perry Richardson on bass, formerly of Firehouse, currently of Striper, and Robert Sweet of Striper on drums. Uh, and that's a, a great, solid record that we did. Uh, I'm working on a follow-up to my uh, Durban album. Uh, Durban 2 is in the process right now. And uh, keep watching wrestling. Keep doing what you love, and don't let anybody tell you otherwise. And if they do, do it anyway. <laughs> all right thank you so much for joining us here today and thank you guys for watching we'll talk to you all soon bye everybody